Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. It's been a while. I almost messed up Let the Bird Fly (laughs) there. Um, We are recording what is our second episode in the span of four or five days. Is that right, Michael? Yeah, I told uh, my youngest daughter, Sophia, I was leaving. She said, where are you going? I said, recording. She's like, you still do that? Yeah, it. Uh, my family's been about the same, and so we're we're back on the roll. Um, I almost have the last one we did produce, but I cannot remember how to split the clips to get the music in between things. So I'm gonna have to reach out to uh, Abby or Peter um, to get that figured out. But then we'll have that, and hopefully, a winging it released. Um, we here at Let the Bird Fly like to talk about what it means to live freely in a world given back to us. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. And I'll say our springboard, because I don't know that we're going to be, we're not going to be slaves to it, which is a joke, but you have to know what I'm talking about to get the joke. It will be funny in about half an hour. Yeah. Um, But the, uh, from uh, Dietrich uh, Bonhoeffer's um, ethics, uh, if you you have the same volume we do, which is the one, uh, which is by Simon and Schuster, a touchstone book. Um, we're going to be on pages 102 and 103. If you've not read Bonhoeffer's Ethics, um, it is not easy. No, it's I, I'm, I actually don't like the writing style of Bonhoeffer. Yeah. And, uh, there's translation, obviously. Right. It's, it's, so it's difficult. difficult. I find it rewarding, but it's not easy to, to track always. So sometimes you have to... You have to go back over something two, three times. He reminds me of C.S. Lewis, not necessarily in this style, but you read and 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 you're like, what? I don't, this is hard. And then comes the nugget. Yeah. Then you're like, that was worth it. So hopefully we, we found a nugget and we'll share it with you today. Uh, here at 1517, or here at Let the Bird Fly, we are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. I encourage you to check out all the good stuff they have over there at 1517.org. Org. Um, in our last episode, which should be coming out soon, we talked about Mike's vocation book, which has now come out with 1517. Um, if you haven't listened to that at the time that this comes out, maybe go back, give it a listen. I think you'll find it a rewarding book. Uh, and uh, in fact, I have I gave away one because someone wanted one that Michael had signed, and I got a new one. And uh, after this, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if you'll sign it. Have you read it yet? Huh? If you I've read, read it? parts. <laughs> Red parts. Um, the uh, do you want me to? Should I not? Flat? I've read it, but I didn't want to flatter you too much. But have you read it? I yeah, when it first okay. came out. Right. Um, I actually got a review copy from fifteen seventeen when it first came out. Oh, did you? But I also gave that one away. Okay. So because people ask about it, and you're not when like when you're not around because I'm in my office a lot more than Mike is, <laughs> and so uh, <coughs> you know they see me and mm-hmm. um. The uh, but I should go back. I gave my one and only copy before uh, it was it officially gave out to a to a my Uber driver in Dallas, Texas. Once. Nice. Yeah. The um yeah no I need to go back through it again. I I want to say that I got that review copy from that from Steve. That would have been February or March maybe. I I want to say like during J term maybe. Oh, that early. Yeah, um, but. So we'll be talking, not necessarily talking a lot of Bonhoeffer, but um, building off of an idea that he has as it pertains to freedom and slavery and uh, really how often we fall into the, the um, into slavery, particularly wow. we're in their pursuit of freedom. Of freedom. Yeah. Uh, with that, 
I will send it to Mike for the disclaimer, and we'll make our way to the free-for-all. This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because, well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally be doing with almost everything. We are messing this up. It's been a while. Yeah, we're rusty. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Hello, welcome back. We're here to do our free-for-all segment, and uh, we did a sports one last time, and so we're going to try not to do another sports one, but it's going to come from sports. There's a concept called relegation. Um, For those of you uh, international soccer fans, you know... Or football. uh, Football, uh, you know this term. That is, and we should maybe explain it, Um, there is uh, the top leagues in... uh, uh, domestic leagues, so there's a Serie A in Italy. There's the Premier League, and I don't think this is a universal England. soccer thing because I don't think the MLS does it. MLS yet. doesn't do it. Mm-hmm. Certainly, the European um, domestic leagues do it, but then there's like sub leagues too. So if you're a baseball fan in America, sort of you could think about okay, Triple A, Double A, Single A. Um, but the difference is in America, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals own and operate or have an agreement with a league below them, but those players can go up and down between those uh, teams, the, the, the main team and then the sub teams. In Europe, the leagues are, the teams are independent. And at the end of the year, usually I believe it's the final three, so the, so the, the last three in the standings in the top league, get relegated to the second league and the top three in the second league get bumped up for the next year. So there is, uh, it's definitely a meritocracy in, in, uh, in at least in that part of it. Um, so we thought, uh, that'd be kind of cool in American sports leagues. And then we thought that'd be kind of cool just in life in general. Right. So we're going to play a game where we say, what would happen if there is relegation when it came to other aspects of our life? And we're just going to see if we can be entertaining. For sure, we'll entertain ourselves. And that's our main concern. Right. Because at this point, we don't know if anyone's going to listen to these because they might think we're dead. No. All right. You know, the interesting thing is, do you know if this is true in England, Mike? I can't remember. In the Dutch soccer, the first division is actually called Premier Division. And then the second division is actually called the first division. Hmm. And I, I'm wondering if England is the same way. You have Premier League. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is, I'm not sure. So I, okay, let's get off the soccer for a bit. Out. What would be the academic equivalent? So, like, you would, um, let's say there's a history department that's really top-notch. I don't know what the best. Let's make it theology so no one thinks we're talking about them or not talking okay, about them. Okay, so, w- well, let's not do that because then we, that's a little different because it, it may have to do with, like, different denominations. Let's do history. At a public university. At a public university. So, uh, real quick, what's the name of top top tier history department in America? 
Well, if we wanted to do one right in the state, we could say University of Wisconsin. All right, University of Wisconsin. Let's say they have 15 professors. Mm-hmm. Let's say the second best, I don't know if this is true, but let's say the second best history department is Marquette. Let's say that. That the the three professors in at the at UW-Madison that got the least amount of good student reviews or right, numbers. I, I'm agreeing with you. I like this, but could we say... I think we'd have to not say Marquette because it's a private school. Okay. Uh, let's pretend Marquette is public. Then it works. Okay. Uh, so Marquette is public. Or just in, the, yeah, or you could go like, big, let's do this, not to be sports, but there is something about the Big Ten universities. It's not okay. just sports or whatever. Right. And then the Mid-American Conference. Hey. So like. I don't so like that. But this is good because like Central Mi- Michigan could get bumped up. Hey. <laughs> To like you know replace Michigan State or something like that. <laughs> That's now you're really trying to. <laughs> so uh, that that would be how it works. What what would you think about um, like companies? This is actually a serious thing, right? So let's there's a sector I don't know, um, soft drinks or whatever, and there are certain criteria. Um, you can make them whatever you want, but I would say, okay, are you being fair to your customers? Are fair your employees? Can I throw that in? Fair your employers? Are you employees. being employees? Are you are you being economically responsible? Are you being environmentally responsible? Um, are you? And I would put this in there as: Are you making money for your stockholders? Right. So maybe there's like four or five things. And now you're saying, how could you, you know, relegate something? Well, you. How about uh, fair to your customers, probably including like transparency about like, you know, if you're putting like uh, cocaine in your soda that you're letting people know. You're letting people know that this is addictive. That kind of thing. Well, you just let them know there's cocaine in it. They can do the rest of it. They can do the rest of it. So uh, you got to put this thing up like or something you're doing that clicking thing from moving a lot so the government can then say um you should it be the government or should it be like a coalition of either way of either way. soda pop makers sure they're yeah you're I'm trying all, to be inclusive yep, with soda right. and pop and whatever you're right. people call it yeah that's probably a better situation like right. it's self yourself like yourself regulating in your relegation right so um, but the, the problem is, is who is going to have any kind of uh, policing action there? Because I was thinking policing action would be like, you don't get to have the same, you have to pay, uh, let's say there's like different um, levels of tariffs, right? So, um, or a tax bracket or something like that. Mm-hmm. The more efficient and better you are, then the less taxes you would pay. Right. Which is kind of like if you do better, you can have more of a salary. You know, you're able to, you're going to have better revenue to bring in better players. So maybe uh, the United States or or if there's an agreement within this uh, consortium of I would like to pop- think for all these things, there's like a FIFA type thing right. that grows out. Although FIFA's hardly nah, been above corruption. Right. Um, but it's just because those dirty Europeans. You don't get. You don't get to have. I'm them. just joking. By <laughs> the way. You don't get to go to this market. This year, <coughs> like yeah. we are going to cut off um, a certain market. You don't get to compete. Yeah. Now, our listeners are probably thinking, "Well, this is anti-capitalistic and stuff," but not necessarily. Not necessarily. Can you make a case? Uh, the the second uh, reason people may uh, balk it's at actually, this might be more true competition than right, what we have now. Right and. 
we can talk about that later. But the the other reason someone may balk is like, how are you going to? How how would you ever, re- you know, regulate this or whatever? But we can regulate just about anything we can, right? right? I mean, let's be honest. If we have enough, you throw enough lawyers in a room, they can figure it out. Right. And I just think you would have a way that all the people involved are going to want to regulate it because you it's competition. Now it's like legit competition like sports and you're going to you're going to have multiple parties interested in both fairness but and so you're going to have checks and balances. We certainly have standards like this already. I mean there's every every industry has groups where there's certain standards and, like and professional guilds or you know right. if you want to be a CPA and you I, have to go through I mean that test is administered by Right, professional group, and, and and someone may say, "Well, that's just more bureaucracy." But this would be better bureaucracy, right? right? Instead, of mindless paperwork, just checking off a box. There is an actual incentive there to, um, I don't know, to to be better, not just more right. necessarily more profitable. No, I think this is a would be a good way to do a lot of things. So we've talked about academia, and I think that could be moving with sc- in schools. But I kind of like. Yeah, I'll, I'll roll, I think that might be the best possible way. Hospitals. Yeah, I think this would be a good one. And it wouldn't be necessary. Although the thing is, it wouldn't be necessary there's like geographic concerns because yeah. you don't want an area to be. So I think it would have to be hospital like chains, you know, like that. If one isn't serving an area well, and you're opening that up. To and a, only one small category would be like death rate. You know what I mean? Because then hospitals could say, well, we're just not going to take the sick people. Oh, yeah. So there'd have to be a way to check that. There'd have to be some algorithm there. I mean, there probably a, a better than just death rate would be like a, uh, you know, a needless death, like yeah. someone who clearly shouldn't have died. And the, the algorithm, they they also could uh, maybe um, ease your worry about different, um, you know, different places. Like maybe in certain places in the United States, obesity is a bigger problem than other places. Well, there's an algorithm for that. Right. Patient comes in and already has these pre-existing conditions and is overweight. What are you doing with where you're at? Yeah. Right. And I, I think, think of what this could do with something like a cable and cellular services, oh. which is just maddening with monopolies right. as it is. Right. If Spectrum and Charter, which are two of the worst companies, um, I think in existence in the world, um, <laughs> If they knew, like, they could get relegated, like, and their relegation could be, you can only offer your customers up to 20 megabytes per second, you know? And the smaller companies that have had better service get to offer higher bandwidth. Mm-hmm. That would be a threat. Well, and that, that, that one would be easy because then you could, I, I don't, we don't want to have government or whatever, but the, the, um, the guild, let's call it the guild yeah. or the whatever, could cut off some of the money from the government. Like that that right. guild would be able to say, you get to have this infrastructure. And when they're buying from- new, you know, uh, resources, mm-hmm. which, you know, things go up for bidding, then the guild decides who gets to bid. I, uh, I, I really like this idea of states too. Mm-hmm. But I don't know where you'd get the minor league of states from. Or do you just make current territories? The minor league of states. Yeah, I think you'd have to read. Or what if you said we've got forty, no, thirty-five states, no, twenty-five? You'd have to take. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to take the different names that already existence, like full statehood territory. Right. There must be something. Yeah, someone else, have whatever. to get demoted so, early on. So, like, no offense to Alabama, but probably would be like more of a territory. 
And to our listeners in Alabama, we apologize <laughs> to you. Um, but I do like, you know, and I think one of the factors should be just generally how liked or disliked your state is. Okay. <clears throat> because um, I feel like that would hurt the states ooh, I already ooh, What about like. this? Um, amount of senators. That's not bad. It doesn't have to be super complicated. It could be like, it could be like, two, one, or zero. Yeah. Right. These are and you the have three an independent zeros. group that's determining this. This isn't. Right. This is free from political rank. I, I mean, I would, I would do it. I would be a part of that committee. Right. And it's kind of like, like the college football playoff committee. Yeah. Right? That's not that doesn't have any problems at all. And I feel like that would really incentivize government doing basic government thing like stuff and rather than like all this like flashy let's not get anything done but just talk big like mm-hmm. suddenly roads start getting fixed because roads factor into you know however many senators you get or if you get relegated sure. Sure. you know suddenly like uh, um, real metrics for schools matter and not just you know talking big about right. it and um, because basic government things and that's what these rankings should be based on is like how well is government doing like the most fundamental things that government does instead of the flashy you know we we got this money in for whatever blah 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 and you right didn't fix we've got a nice new pure michigan billboard over a road that looks Crumbling. like it got bombed right you know right although you would think like if they were going to do Every every state that does that advertising when you drive into the state, like they should really the first ten miles really should make sure that right. those are paved well. And I feel like uh, Michigan and Wisconsin really too, to be fair, try to be super honest and just mm-hmm. put the this is what the roads are going to be like. You know, like there's not much effort put in, uh, you know, easing uh, you into it. Yeah, well, roads is a different story. Well, but I think a state. Sure. I think that's the primary thing a state should be judged by because that's goes back all the way to Rome. Like that's one of the main things the government does is build roads. And that, if you can't that do that, that don't ask me to trust you with a yeah, bunch of other stuff. And protection of a citizen, right? I mean, right. if you had to say, what are the three things about Rome that were, you know, I mean, not talking about their imperial whatever, but and the, even this form of the the Senate and stuff like that, but roads, aqueducts, and, and citizenship. Brothels. Oh, yep, citizenship. I th- I don't think that they were better or worse in brothels than any maybe any other any other place. But I, I could be of wrong. Pompeii, they have more famous. I could brothels. be wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, we could I, we could rather than us just, going too long with this, I feel like we might be boring our listeners. If you have things that you think relegation would work well in, feel free to email us or shoot us a a message on Facebook. We're going to try to look at those more, um, and tell us how you think it would improve or not improve aspects of a. Of our life together in society. Yeah, let's just do one one each. We don't have to explain it, but just name one. Name one more place where you think. I think it could solve uh, war to a great extent because you would have armies that could just be based on like their capabilities, and then you rank them, and then maybe small scale non fatal skirmishes. Yeah. Um, and then you just say, "Here's the rankings," and uh, I mean, obviously, anybody could go to war at some point. But I think most people that want big armies, it's mostly like bragging rights. And so... That's the interesting thing about, like, do wars. Like, okay, China's got, like, let's say China's got a one million man army right. in the United and States. if you go to war, you're going to ruin that army. 500,000 or whatever. And so if you're going to go to war, you say, let's just, let's not do one million versus 500,000. Right. I mean, there's technological advantages to one of the... I, I'm not talking about that, but, like, 
let's go 100 against 50 and just see. And yeah, and, and gentlemen's agreement. And it, we play paintball. I'm I'm even even I'm even okay if there would be death involved, but it would be on a smaller uh, scale. Like, it would be like smaller. Goliath versus David in the sense like, you know, instead of slaughtering each other for 100 yards, let's just go mano a mano. Yeah, but you, if you make that like a regular competition, then you're almost increasing death. I think if there's legit going to be a war, then that would that, be... Well, that's what I'm saying. Somewhere in between, like, 10,000 versus 5,000. Right. On, you know, like, in the desert of Nevada. Right. Like, we'll we'll let you come over. Right. Right? We'll give you some time to train and, and do the some... The only downside I'm, that's coming to my mind is this could really lead to a lot of more militarization because sure. you'd have countries who would be, like, not happy with their rankings... And then they really spend on it. But it's jobs. Right. And maybe it prevents war because everybody's got a strong army. Yeah. I just You don't want Germany being like, we're ranked 45th because they don't really have much of an army. You know, that's yeah, very good I, after. And then they're like, let's climb these rankings. And then they get pretty high in the rankings and they're like, man, we're almost we the well greatest in the world. something with it. And, yeah, I, you know, I have this feeling that. And Weltmeister. I, I don't know if there's any history about this or not, but I have this feeling that when Germany feels like it's surrounded and not being respected, that bad things happen. Right. Unlike America. Right. Um. Okay. All right. All right. back for the main topic if i may i think i'll start with um and i clicked off of where i was at to look up war gaming stuff from a few scams all right um a quote from uh david foster wallace um that uh i think i still have on my bulletin board unless someone has taken it down or destroyed it um and it's a, a quote that he saw supposedly um in a recovery uh, uh, house, uh, a rehab house, um, when he himself was wrestling with addiction. And it said, everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it. And I think that fits well with um, what I'd like us to talk about today. And uh, that is the fact that um, we as human beings have a natural longing to be free. And I don't think that in and of itself is a bad thing. I think post-fall, when that freedom means freedom of the creature from the creator, then that is a very bad and dangerous thing. But I want to talk a little bit how often in human experience, um, Wallace himself famously says to, uh, in the, his uh, commencement speech, that this is water, right? If you don't have something else to worship, you will, whatever you worship will, uh, will eat you alive, Right. Um, and so he's not necessarily advocating advocating for Christianity or Islam or Judaism or you, you pick a religion, but he is saying they serve a purpose. <clears throat> um, this idea that what we will see as an avenue for freedom will often become slavery, 
Um, that can be family. I think of, for instance, in C.S. Lewis, The Four Loves, when he writes on affection, he talks about uh, Mrs. Fidget, right, who abuses affection and therefore diminishes the affection her family has for her um, because feeling needed in her family becomes the, uh, the primary uh, metric by which she measures herself. Um, it can be one's career, right? Uh, one's career is going to set one free. They're, it's going to make them independent. It's going to afford them happiness. And the career then becomes uh, slavery. It can be a house. Someone gets their dream house. Um, and the uh, work on that house and the payments on that house um, become slavery. It can be a relationship. Um, it can be politics. Um, it can be reason or philosophy. But these things that in and of themselves are not bad. A house is not bad. A spouse is not bad. A career is not bad. Politics is not bad. Um, reason is not bad. Uh, but all of these things can actually enslave us in the pursuit of um, freedom. They become in and of themselves then uh, treadmills. Uh, rather than a place of Sabbath or rest or a place primarily of vocation um, where one can lose themselves in it. Instead, one finds oneself in it, right? And that what one finds there is less than what God has created us um, to be because while we are created for vocation, we're not created to be owned by any one vocation. Rather, we are... Um, to channel our love and our gifts through those. Uh, and so with that in mind, here's what um, I read from Bonhoeffer as I was rereading a section of ethics, um, from his ethics, that I thought was, was interesting. Um, he is talking about the French Revolution. Um, and before this, he's talked about technology and the masses, technology um, and uh, uh, how it... Um, creates a desire for more technology or can enslave. Um, and he's also talked about nationalism, which makes sense because right, Bonhoeffer lives through and dies at the end of um, the years of fascism in Germany. And to take the, the last paragraph that starts on page 102, he says, The French Revolution created a new unity of mind in the West. This unity lies in the emancipation of man as reason as the mass, as the nation. In the struggle for freedom, these three are in agreement, but once their freedom is achieved, they become deadly foes. Thus the new unity already bears within itself <coughs> the seeds of decay. And he goes on a little later. The new unity which the French Revolution brought to Europe and what we are experiencing today is the crisis of this unity is therefore Western godlessness. It is totally different from the atheism of certain individual Greek, Indian, Chinese, and Western thinkers. It is not the theoretical denial of the existence of God. It is itself a religion, a religion of hostility to God. It is in just this that it is Western. It cannot break loose from its past. It cannot but be religious in essence. That is why, to the human eye, it is so hopelessly godless. Western godlessness ranges from the religion of Bolshevism uh, to the midst of the Christian churches. Uh, he then goes on later. Luther's great discovery of the freedom of the Christian man 
and the Catholic heresy of the essential good in man combined to produce the deification of man. With the destruction of the biblical faith in God and of all divine commands and ordinances, man destroys himself. <clears throat> and so we're not going to be married to um, these pages that produce, um, th that, that act as the springboard for our conversation. But I would invite you um, in a moment, Mike, to share anything that comes to mind with regard it. But I thought the, the more fun and interesting conversation, for now at least, might just be the relationship between freedom and slavery, both from a, a biblical but also just from an anthropological viewpoint, um, maybe with in mind what Wallace had to say there or what he saw on that wall of that rehab house, that everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it, right? Um, even just as infants, I, I was always amazed by it when we had babies, how hard they could grip things, right? These, they can't even control their head, right? They, you have to hold their head when you hold them because they bobble around. But they get a hold of something like mom's hair, and you know you could use the use them as a wrenches, right? How hard they they hold, um, and so there's something innate in us with that. And what we're clawing into is not necessarily bad things, right? Um, but good things that we ruin here, we could say when we turn them into an idol, um, but we could also say when we make them um, our source of or avenue to freedom, which I guess is, is the same as to make an idol of them as if we see freedom as one of the essential um, components of being truly human. I'll throw all that to you, Mike. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you, I was thinking uh, the same thing about children, uh, not the, not that analogy, which I thought was pretty good about the, the infant's grip. Um, but later in adolescence, you will often grab onto one thing thinking this is your identity. Think of middle this school. This is your yeah. be all and end all. This is the most important thing. Um, and what ha and, and what your parents warn you about, but you just simply cannot understand because you not only have a bound will, but you have a bound teenage will. And limited experience. And that. extremely yep. limited experience with, with just a dash of hubris. <clears throat> um, more than a dash. Yeah. Um, that becomes all-encompassing to you. And that's really a definition of an idol or a god however you want to put it. Um, and, and it's almost inevitably as, as early as middle school couched in terms of freedom. This is my life. That's just your opinion versus my opinion. You're not the boss of me. I can't wait to get out of here and do my own, all these kinds of things. So a parent is trying to say, I want you to have freedom. And what I mean by freedom is I don't know being a decent human being so that you can get a job right. and get a car and a house. All the things that make you feel free in your youth are setting you up for slavery for the rest right. of your life. Yeah. But these things that seem like slavery right now will enable you to have the freedom that you so desire, mm -hmm. right? But they can't see it at that point because they're blinded by this unbelief. Total side note a little bit, but this is a little bit of the problem with how many, let's just say, right-leaning people talk about freedom. They only see it in the concept of my individual will, and it assumes a free will in all things above and below, usually, that 
where people on the left are going to have maybe a little bit more nuanced idea of freedom to say, you can't really have freedom if you're in prison. You can't have really have freedom if you're stuck in a ghetto, right? These kinds of things. And, and both extremes are, are, are wrong, right? Where you say, it's not about my personal freedom and therefore my personal responsibility. And freedom is not purely economic and material. Right, right. it's not. It's, it's primarily of the conscience, I, we, would, we would say. Um, but at the same time, this idea that, um, you know, your freedom is a, is a wholly individual, individualistic thing. Right. And has nothing to do with history, has nothing to do with the people around you, um, is, is type foolish. And, 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 all and that's you have why to it's always is, funny when Christianity somehow gets merged with this, right. as if the two were right. could go together. And, and they don't go together for multiple reasons, right? right? But this is only one of them. Where And all you have to do is think about being a parent and child. By the way, I, I have more and more do this with people. Uh, Bible class, college students, or whatever, say, if you have a trouble understanding something in the Bible or something theological, stop and think about it in a, in a parent-child relationship kind of thing, right? It, it's helpful in so many different ways. Understanding prayer, understanding faith, understanding the Word of God and how it, it gives faith, commandments, all those kinds of things. And this is one of those cases. Um, when you're a parent, you are not, it, it's not like, Sometimes I just want to say to my children when they get upset at me for so-called taking away their freedom, go, yes, this is what this is. I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is think about (coughs) things that can take away the freedom from my children because I'm so consumed with you. Right. The truth of the matter is we want you to follow these rules right now and grow into something so that you are a productive and as much as you can in a in a, a left-handed kingdom way, have this elusive thing called freedom. A certain amount of economic freedom, you're not swimming in debt because you made... Uh, you made. You went to college just for the experience. Yeah. Or you, made, you, you were able to manage your money and make wise decisions with your money. You decided you needed right? a new car at 18. So when I tell you that you shouldn't spend $100 on jeans, I'm not limiting your freedom. I'm teaching you something that that will help you be free to a certain extent in the future, right? So that's a simplistic way of looking at it, but that's a component of what we're talking about here. And the idea that I can choose my own identity or my own destiny as an individual person, and that's a, that's a problem on the left and the right, right, is not only totally ignorant of the, of, of the reality of God, but it does not only end in the nihilism that Bonhoeffer talks about, um, but it also is a dead end for you. Right. Right. You, and let me just, no, go ahead. Do it. You can, you can articulate this in a couple different ways, right? It becomes a dead end to you because you climb the mountain. And when you get there, you say, this is it because you can never have enough. Why? Because you're more valuable than what you have in store for you. Right, what you think you have in store for you for your destiny, is it pales in comparison to being created in the image of God and a true flourishing in heaven. So, if you want to go away from God and try to climb this mountain, and let's say you get to the top of the mountain, which is which is not likely. Let's say you you are the top of the mountain. You made the most money. You have the most power. You are the most popular. You are the most whatever. I mean, that's climbing the mountain. You're going to get there and you're going to say, this is it. And, and 
not to make a sports analogy, but this is, um, I, I think this is, a, this is a lot of problems with very successful athletes who then um, all of a sudden w- don't want to play anymore or um, uh, can Almost never be satisfied. lose their love for the game after they've yeah. reached its heights. Uh, you know, we're, we're in Wisconsin, so we'll talk Aaron Rodgers for a second if you've been following that. Uh, drama. Not sure if he wants to play for the Green Bay Packers. Had to take some time off trying to find whatever. And part of that story, uh, or part of the story that has been um, on the news, at least in the last few months, is that when he won his first Super Bowl, he was, it wasn't like, oh, I'm, I'm not satisfied. I want another one. He's like, boy, this is not as great as I thought it was going to be, right? Well, there's a lesson for that. Right, and a healthy uh, one. Yeah. So, and we can articulate it in, in different ways, that the idea of um, freedom in your own sinful desires is going to be slavery, uh, making something penultimate, making it ultimate, yep. um, trying to reach your own destiny, knowing that you are not the author of your life. You're, you're trying to do, you're, 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 a, you're a teenager thinking you've reached the pinnacle and the adults in your world go, that's cute. And there's, there's, I think, um, you know, if we can Christianize, which is extremely difficult to do, but Sartre a little bit, right? This is a little bit when Sartre was talking about, when he's talking about acting in, in bad faith, it's being inauthentic, right? You're trying to play a part to play a role because you think that this, freedom that has been shaped for you and sold to you um, and in some ways self-manufactured as an idea for you, um, you know, is what will make you happy, which is really to not be content with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean content with yourself like in a self-esteem program where we say, you know, if, if you were to sit here and say, Wade, you're special and you're smart and you're enough, I would, Michael, you're you're full of it, right? Um, The, um, but I do mean it in a way of um, in yourself as creature of God. And what, one of the things that I think is interesting about these things, and he talks about with reason or with nation or with the mass, and I think with masses, just think of consumerism could be one aspect of it, but also just a belonging, um, you know, uh, to find your identity in a brand, in a group, in, a, in whatever, in a sport. Um, Saying the right things, being a part of the right yeah. groups, having the right amount of righteousness. Yeah, And it's an attempt to find an identity, but all of these things in a way are an attempt to find an identity by losing identity. Even with reason, right? What's the goal of reason? It's to become, uh, um, you know, dispassionate. Not, uh, what's the, uh, not dispassionate. Um, you know, you're kind of cold and just, I'm going to be mathematical about things and you can kind of lose your identity in that of like well no it's it's not about me it's just you know rational whatever um a uh the way that the word stoic is used in english which is unfair to the stoics it is it is stoic stoic in that sense um you know nationalism part of that is i get to be a part of something bigger than me um the same as is with the masses or you know wanting to be a part of the masses um you know, this is why the collective can be so powerful, but also so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be a wonderful movement um, for the sake of neighbor, but it also can quickly turn into riot, right? Um, for whatever cause. Uh, fascinating study of soccer clubs in Europe. Right. And uh, connected to that, though, I don't want us to give the impression that this is mostly like a thing that's just um, secular, 
Bonhoeffer says, and he's correct, this happens in the church as right, well. Yeah, right away. And the, says, yeah. and the temptation in the church, and I would say it's been there since the beginning, and it showed itself um, especially in monasticism, um, but we have plenty of neo-monasticism mm-hmm. today, can be that I'm going to find my freedom by um, churching super, super hard, right? And so I'm going to be on everything. Or it can be um, I'm going to set up these religious... Uh, rules for myself right i'm going to be the person that that doesn't have a tv or and it's fine not to have a tv i'm just right you, you i'm only going to wear these types of clothes or i'm gonna and through that you're almost dragging the creator into your desire to really be free of him by finding yourself by finding freedom in in these works right isn't that well ultimately what work righteousness is as well is i'm going to be free of god by doing God's work. And I think this can even come up in our circles, um, and I think it's probably better than it was, um, but especially in a um, church body and in a system that in a good way really does cherish called workers and what they do. Mm-hmm. Right? We recognize that the pulpit and the classroom are key to the church's mission. But at the same time, um, probably more than a few of us at times wondered um, if we didn't end up in ministry, right, would we really be, um, and maybe instead of free, we our truths, who we should be, right? Um, and that itself, this this taking up of a uh, taking up of an unnecessary cross, right? One could maybe serve in a different vocation, um, can itself be an unhealthy thing. Now, I I think usually that pressure doesn't come from people serving in positions at a lot of these places. Um, but it can be an internal thing and a thing that we maybe inherit community-wise. I was blessed not to come from a family that had any history of, you know, connection to the church body or to church work. So there was no, um, it was not even on, you know, on your the radar. radar. Yeah. I mean, I remember telling relatives, I was thinking about being a pastor, and they just thought, well, don't you want to get married? Yeah. You know, because I was coming out of Catholicism, right. well, this is the nice thing about this gig is you can still get married. Um but what I'm trying to get at is, is this can show up in the church too. And I'm guessing in the parish, most pastors have had, and I know you probably have, Mike, and I know I did, people who come heartbroken because they're burnt out on church. The very thing that's supposed to give them freedom has become slavery. And you, you have to, A, you feel bad because how did you let them get to this place, mm-hmm. right? But B, you have to set them free by kind of cutting the nets of, these very um, religious, right, things. I, I don't know if I'm making sense there, but I'll toss it to you. No, absolutely. And we, we normally think about that from a, this is a very uh, romophobic way of looking at it. And, and, and the West, especially in America, it still has a, a sense of uh, kind of aromophobia. That reminds me, I did see on Twitter um, when Italy was playing England, some guy who said he was going to take a sign um, obviously from the 16th century that said, uh, the Bishop of Rome hath no jurisdiction in this realm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Gotta love those history majors. Yeah. Um, you're like, Oh, you have a, you know, confession, absolution and, uh, the, the hymnal and the same. I, no, that that's the same parent child thing we're talking about. Can it become that? Oh my gosh. Yes, yep. it can be. However, any um, good thing can be used, but, but I we see it more on a 
keeping up with the spiritual Joneses in in a more uh, Protestant world, right? Um, so so it's it's it is a danger. It, it absolutely is a danger, and how freeing people feel when 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 you when you free them from that has actually probably been one of the highlights of of my ministry. I hate saying my ministry, but my my time is being a pastor and a and professor. And we do get plenty of students who will come oh, yeah. and are caught up in that, and they, yeah. you know, students who've been in church their whole life. That when you finally right. give them like straight gospel, right? Like they've never heard the straight gospel right. before, and sometimes, probably, sadly, wasn't there because I think a lot of us pastors we because we know the gospel and we come from a gospel place, we just assume everybody's. We assume that people get it once, right. and and once they get it, they have it, right? It's our own version of once saved, always saved. Like, you preach the gospel once they get it. Now let's get on to more important things. I don't know how many times I heard that. Well, I know about Jesus already. Now let's go on to something that's that's actually practical and stuff like that. And you go, oh, my gosh. I mean, if you were or in the, my office. The famous, uh, you know, tell them about Jesus sermon, and I sometimes I just want to yell, who the hell is he? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you, right. I, I hear every week I should tell people about him, but you've right. never, right. you've never introduced yes. me. Yes, the four-part sermon. You're naughty. Jesus loves you anyway. Um, go tell people about Jesus, and they're going to hate you for it. You're like, uh-huh. yes, this this sounds really fun. <laughs> yep. Oh, and homosexuals are bad. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, uh-huh. five-part sermon, right? Uh, I think we're getting more to maybe a six-part two of like. Don't trust the Democrat media. <laughs> don't, tr- don't trust the government. Yeah, um, uh, you know that that whole thing too is is part and parcel of this conversation. Like when people just get so irate, as if this was just something new, that the world was not Christian, and it like this just happened the last decade. It sounds like that all of a sudden, this left-handed kingdom thing that was never intended to try to be religious and certainly wasn't Lutheran is now betraying us. What happened? Uh-huh. You know, and I get really angry about that. All of this of course is about justifying yourself, right? Apart from Christ or uh, the laws we totally tried to use to further our agenda. <laughs> yeah. Like that process is now being used what? in ways we don't <laughs> like. Yes, that didn't work. Um, but uh, more than just kind of, Underneath it all, of course, is this idea of, of justification. If you want to make yourself free, if you want to give yourself your own idea, uh, uh, you know, your own identity, you're playing God. You're doing something that is exclusive to the divine being, and you are going to mess it up. So it's helpful for me to all this talk about identity, all this talk about I'm going or or I'm going to, I want to make this culture or this nation state or this party or whatever to be pure. Um, It's, it's really an attempt at making myself look pure, right? And when you look to yourself or anything else to make yourself pure, right, saved, important, valuable, your identity, destiny, start naming all of these, all of these words, you are doing something that is exclusive to the power of the divine right. and you're playing God. I, that's why I, I never liked uh, when, when you went to catechism class and they're like first commandment, well, what are idols? And you, and we got like, well, money's Money. an idol or your pillow Sunday mornings an idol sports. sports. 
And we understand that. I mean, we just talked about that. These things take the place of God. But who's ultimately taking the place of God? There's really only one idol. It's myself. Right. Which is why Luther says Adam and Eve were enthusiasts from the beginning. It's myself, and I'm I'm pretending like it's not myself by by trying to find find my identity value and justification in something else. But if it doesn't take, you don't have to pull that string long enough for it to unravel, and the guy behind the curtain is yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, a, a couple things maybe just in connection with that, and then I'll I'll see. Um, I guess the the main question I have, and, and I'll see well, what you think Well, before you put it. this in the back of your mind, before yeah. you go, we should make the connection that Bonhoeffer did that says, it seems like a big jump where he says, at the end of this path is going to be nihilism. I, I think we need to, sure. before we're done, make that well, connection. And we can close with that. Um, two things. First, I would just make the, the um, observation, and I think he's absolutely right in this, and not to toot my American horn or your American horn, but he does say on page 105... Um, Contrasting with the French Revolution, um, the American doc- democracy is not founded upon the emancipated man, but quite on the contrary, upon the kingdom of God and the limitation of all earthly powers by the sovereignty of God. It is indeed significant when, in contrast to the Declaration of the Rights of Man, American historians can say that the federal constitution was written by men who were conscious of original sin and of the wickedness of the human heart. And that doesn't mean they have Christian positions on them, but even right, like a Hobbes <coughs> recognizes these things. And I think that is when, when we really should be um, glad we, to be Americans, the, that's one area where we should be. We, we understand that uh, too powerful an executive branch, too powerful of this or whatever is why, why do we think that? Because we know right. that these, and by experience, not by, by some kind of theological illumination necessarily, but by the experience of kings and churches in Europe. Yeah. And just our own individual experience. Sure. Um, the other thought I have, and then I think we can take it to, as you mentioned, um, uh, Bonhoeffer, how Bonhoeffer kind of suffer, summarizes stuff. But I think one of the challenges with freedom and, and being in this pursuit of freedom is that in many ways Christian freedom, like the like justification, um, which is forensic, is an article of faith, right? Um, it's not like a July 4th freedom. There's no day of fireworks, um, an apple pie. Um, there's no flag to wave. In fact, right, waving a flag seems uh, not to fit very well with Christian freedom. Uh, it's really, uh, you mentioned conscience earlier, it's really the product of justification, right? And yet it is something that we uh, exercise in Christian love, um, and it is something that's not quantifiable, right? Um, and so I do think it's important for us to recognize that as Christians, that um, that we not think that Christian freedom is primarily a feeling. I don't know if I'm saying this well. Um, sometimes you do feel it. You Sometimes I can tell people are feeling it when we're talking about something and something hits home. Um, but there's other times where I feel extremely put out, even while at the same time I'm free. And, and you think of Luther, the, the free Lord of all, but right, um, but also subject to all. And so, um, and right, Bonhoeffer gets this, he writes things like the cost of discipleship or life together. And uh, 
and so I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Mike, or anything you want to add to that. I don't know that I'm articulating it well, but then maybe we can close with, with yeah. what you mentioned before. I, I don't know if this is what you were after, but you know, we, we've talked about but have not, I don't think, articulated very well in our own private conversations yet and something maybe we should tackle just for our own sake is let me list list the descriptors of what the average American thinks freedom is. And then what does the Bible say about freedom, especially Paul? Where are their connections? And there are. Um, but where do they diverge? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I don't mean like libertarian because both left and right talk about freedom talk about in different senses and maybe in a different uh, they want different outcomes maybe right. or or better yet put it this way if you feel like you are being encumbered in some aspect of your life your sense of freedom is going to be couched in those terms right so maybe it's um economic freedom or maybe it is sexual freedom um it, it doesn't have to be that political freedom yeah. where you'd rather be poor, but self-governing. Right? right. I mean, that's but plenty throughout history. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it, and it doesn't even have to be that precise. It can be just even kind of a sense of you don't tell me what to do or maybe just leave me alone kind of thing. I mean, those, 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 there, there's a lot there. So when, when we're talking about, freedom from a, a theological point of view um we're, we're talking about a free conscience um we are talking about a relief i mean the Consolation. relief it's going to be okay and that relief does not come from my ability to escape some tyranny it comes from the fact that somebody freed me and it's it's a peace or a relief, even in the midst of conflict, right? That this is, um, it's precisely the free man, the Luther will stress that will face and infectum, yep, and temptation trials, and it is at once a right, but not deserving, and that's that's one of the main differences I think between like like an American and, and a theological freedom is I don't deserve the freedom from sin, hell, death. But am I deserving of it in a certain sense? Is it my right? Yes, but it's because God gave me that right. From the cross, right. From the cross. So it's mine, and I have the legal right to it, but it's not because that legal right was something that I earned. It was something that was given to me. And here's the other key. If I don't have that freedom, it's because I turned away from it. Right. I gave it up. I chose a different God. I chose slavery I over freedom. Myself. Right. Whether I knew it or not, I sold myself. Right. So th- th- I think there's 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 maybe an article in there, you yeah. know, I mean, I, or an episode for sure for like just to go down the list of because I think that is an issue for people that there are connections. I mean, we, we we're not. We're not bashing the United States. I mean, we, what we're saying is... No, as I said, I think I'm extremely thankful for the system that our founding fathers set up. I think that they had a better anthropology than, yeah, absolutely. than many. And, and there, there's certain things like you try as you might, you, you literally can't get into my conscience. 
right? Right. Uh, you can't do that. And I think that's very biblical. Where um, there, So in a certain sense, does, does the Bible teach about a limited government? Sure, in that sense that it can't have your soul. It, it has, it's in the left kingdom. Right. Plenty of instances in the Old Testament of kings crossing that line. And right. So, I mean, I think it's a fascinating topic that I don't know that I'm well-versed enough to, to write anything on, but certainly can talk on a cheap yeah. podcast. Someone out there write it. Yeah. Um, all right. Give us your final point you had. Uh, remind well, us. Well, I actually want to ask you the question. So, Von Hafer is talking about, okay, the French Revolution created... You're on 102.03 still? Yeah, 102. Okay. The French Revolution created a new unity of mind in the West. This unity lies in the emancipation of man as reason, as the mass, as the as the nation, right? Those, mm-hmm. To put it simply, those things um, replace liberty, or they are supposed to be the avenue, avenue to liberty. It, yeah. Those things actually take away your freedom. Okay, we can understand that you the nation ends up becoming your god or, or the nation if you give power to the nation it's eventually going to Right. And 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 reason without love is yeah. But then he says the master of the machine becomes its slave. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then later he talks about this is going to lead to nihilism. Mm-hmm. So I think we need that that seems to be a jump there that I think we need to we need for our listeners we need to put together. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, that, now that that term nihilism is a broad term, and it, it's it's hard to nail down. For instance, people will say Nietzsche was a nihilist, um, while he himself, I don't think, would have considered him a, a nihilist. <clears throat> In fact, he laments nihilism at some points when he says um, God is dead. He's lamenting something that was lost. He says now that people don't believe, what's going to fill this vacuum? And he hopes it'll be culture, right? But mm-hmm. obviously, we see um, that doesn't work, right? That you look at um, what culture is providing to fill that void still today, and it's, um, you know, I love Adam Sandler movies. Mm-hmm. It's not going to fill the God mm-hmm. void, <clears throat> right? Um, and so I think um, what he's getting at is what we see after World War Two, and with the, the um, what we would call post-modernity is this grave skepticism. Um, that develops <clears throat> and this questioning of the narrative of modernity of just constant progress towards this um, if not utopian very good future um, as many of the the very good things of modernity were twisted and turned in the second world war uh, to bring not betterment but destruction I mean technical advancement, even medicine and some of the, the sick procedures that were <clears throat> that were done um, or to figure out how to kill people more effectively. Um, you know, government twisted. Uh, all these things, religion twisted, philosophy twisted, and uh, that this leads to this kind of, well, nothing, uh, I always think of it as kind of uh, the, the video. Um, so if there's kids listening back in the day, um, there would be songs, and then the band would make a video, and that would be on MTV before MTV just started making bad reality TV. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> the video for uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana, right? And you've kind of got the high school gymnasium pep rally where normally everybody's supposed to be excited. Seniors are the best. Sophomores are the best. Our team is the best. And it's kind of this like depressing. The cheerleaders are going through these half motions, and it's 
grimy, dare I say grungy, Mm -hmm. um, to use a 90s term. And uh, what has happened with that, and existentialism we see develops this, is if all those things have failed, what's left is me. And so, as as Sartre will argue, if the world is going to have meaning, I have to give it to it. And this is a move from Nietzsche, right, that he's making. Um, where we see today the, these extremes, I would say this utter senselessness that we've fallen into in some ways, to where the only thing that defines anyone is, is they themselves. And this happens in all sorts of ways. It can be the extreme... Um, of identity politics on the right or the left. It can be individual, the fetishization, to steal uh, Dr. Turney's term, of individual liberty. Um, Or it can come into some of the major debates we see about what makes someone who they are. Um, The individual becomes what's, what's left. And the collective is still there, but what's the collective? The collective is there to protect the individual, right? Um, And this is, uh, social justice is, is important, right? I'm, I'm for legitimate civil rights. Um, but early on, those civil rights were uh, um, very collective, right, these these concerns. And now more and more it's become uh, just a, a, a celebration of distinction, right? And so we see some of these groups that become odd um, bedfellows because the, the increasing of, of the um, individual or the identity group as the, as really a kind of a, um, a uh, um, lobby group for the individual, mm-hmm. right, um, that grows. Um, I think in there, um, there's a nihilism because even there, that will fail. I always tell my students, there are things now um, that you will be very important to you and you will be very optimistic about and you think make you you, but you're going to turn into me. <laughs> and maybe not hopefully as gray and as fat and as often disillusioned. Um, but is it your looks? They're going to fade. Is it your athleticism? One day you might fall off your back porch and uh, mess up your knee in a way that you can't do lots of stuff you used to love to do. Uh, you know, is it the the budding... You know, you ever think back, Mike, when how easy it was to, like, fall in love or, like, early relationships, how exciting that could be? And... Um, you know, the drama that comes with youth. You make new friends, and it's that, that will fade as well. And some days it's going to be up. You know, uh, my wife has to put up with me again. I have to go to work and see Mike again. Mike has to see me again. We have to go through the grind with the same classes again. And uh, that um, that optimism of me giving myself Right. It was it was for Sartre. It was convenient to hold a position like this because he was a, a French celebrity and France philosophers can be celebrities. I, I kind of envy that. Um, but it's it's not so easy, um, you know, uh, in real life for the average person. And I, I think um, that's part of the nihilism that's there. And we know it because all of us have burnt out on different avenues for freedom. I mean. It could be hobbies we picked up. It could be careers we um, pursued before changing. It could be relationships that we heavily invested in that flamed out. Um, we've all had the things. And, and what do we become? Uh, we become, it, it's like we're at an old country buffet pharmacy. And we just switch the pills. Um, 
And uh, and I'm not saying that's not a great idea. I mean, assuming like uh, that is Stay a bad idea. Stay focused. We're over okay, an hour. That's a bad idea. Um, but uh, um, I think nihilism, in essence, leads to self-medication, and that's where we find ourselves. And it, I think it's led to um, finding my ultimate freedom in me, which to me is especially scary given biblical anthropology and given the anthropology even of our founding fathers, um, that not everything in me might not, might be so great as I think it is. But I'll, I'll toss it Well, I, two thoughts and then we've got to be done. You know, one is... We, talked about if there's nobody else left you know and you start playing god with kind of been a theme of this podcast if there's if there's nobody like if there's no god to blame if there's no country to blame if there's no political party to blame you just got yourself to blame (coughs) and that's a real scary yeah scary place to be we don't like the law yeah so the other thing too and i'll end on this is a lot of these cultural debates philosophical debates um just want to stop this mirror over here yeah you just want to stop and makes you even fatter i look like a <laughs> the liberty bell wade just discovered like a Sorry. little child just discovered a mirror so but he's it's like being, a circus mirror he's, or something. he's being distracted why do you care about justice why do you care about freedom why do you ask that question why do you care why does everybody care about that to a certain to two different degrees for different play i mean Everybody cares about justice, whether you're justice or my justice. Right. Everybody cares about freedom, your freedom, my freedom. Um, why do you care about those things? Well, I, I think without God, without that concept, you have a hard time answering that question. Right. And if you don't answer that question correctly, it will affect um, how you're going to... It's going to affect your day-to-day ethics, let's yep. put it that way. So anyway, I think this is a pretty good episode. I'm glad that you came up with this at the last second. Um you want to give the last word to people? Sure. I think we should get rid of that mirror. Okay. It's turning my self-esteem. And, okay. uh, no, I think, um, hopefully you guys got something out of this, those who were, were listening. But that, uh, that idea of, um, right, we're, we're, uh, maybe the, the David Foster Wallace to go back to it with addiction recovery, right? One of the things that the addict knows and they're going to hear in a, a rehab house um, is how easy it is to relapse, right? And we are a, a people who are born into slavery, um, and for the sake of uh, what we think will be freedom, are uh, quick to return. And so that we give thanks to the God who day after day, week after week, calls us out of ourselves and out of our vain pursuits um, and gives us all these good things back, gives the world back to us, um, and says, none of these things define you. None of these things create your identity. I do that. And your identity is child of God. And now go and live freely with them. Serve uh, through them. Enjoy them uh, for yourself, but also for neighbor. Uh, in other words, let the bird fly. I'm not drunk, I'm just a tanker. I say I'm up, 